Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It's July 2020, and I've lost any sense, or we are losing any sense of time or place in these weird coronavirus days. Most of us have been locked up for at least four or five months, and seems as if uh, it's going to be four or five months at the very minimum before there's a vaccine that we can go out and play again. So what are we going to do as we're locked up at home? Uh, we can read, of course, but many of us have aspirations as writers. Uh, and these months stuck at home have actually triggered a number of people to pick up a pen or a keyboard and start writing that book. Uh, but the writing of the book is one thing, publishing it is quite another, and the whole process of, of, of developing a book and selling it is quite a complicated one. Uh, my old friend Anne Trubeck is the publisher of Belt Publishing, um, the Midwest's most innovative small publisher, and the author of a, of a really interesting new book, So You Want to Publish a Book. Anne... Um, what would you say to people stuck at home who are now thinking of writing and publishing a book um, during the pandemic? Great question. Uh, it's definitely a good time to um, uh, sit at your laptop and, and write, but it's also a good time to figure out how the publishing industry works if your goal with writing is you know, to have a book with boards and paper stock and um, something that's physical. Um, and um, it's not as easy as you would think to understand the process of publishing. Um, and so learning more about how that whole world works might help writers. And when you and I met, I think it was in what, 2005, 2006, we actually met at a um, an event for aspiring authors. At that time, I was a Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur, and you were an academic at uh, Oberlin College. Now you're an independent publisher. How did you <laughs> set up Belt? What was the process, and how did you go from aspiring author to successful publisher? Yeah, good question. Was it really that long ago? I remember that conference very well. And I think we both do. <laughs> so I was an academic, yeah. I also had published uh, some books. Um, uh, as well. And I was really interested in how you publish a book if you're the publisher, not just the writer, the whole process of it. Um, and so I had this idea of doing basically a quickie book. Um, it was about Cleveland, where I live, which was going through a really interesting time. And I wanted to say, hey, let's get a bunch of people together and write some essays and put out a book because it'll be important in terms of what we're writing about with Cleveland and understanding the city. But also, I want to figure out how you write a book, how you 
proofread a book, how you design a book, how you market a book, um, what, how do you work with printers? I was really interested in, in understanding all of that. So I did that with the first book and, um, and that was really how the press was born. Um, I also started a magazine at the same time um, and then uh, continued to publish books. And then I was like, hey, this is a lot of jobs I have being a professor and being a freelance writer and now running this company. So um, I sort of stopped doing the academic thing and doubled down on the publishing. Um, and now Belt Publishing um, is six years old and we have about 12 to 15 titles coming out a year. And I understand a little bit more about how you actually make a book into a thing. Um, but I still have a lot to learn. What I did uh, after our meeting was I, I, I got lucky and found a, a very uh, a, a, a very successful literary agent in New York City who took me on. And we, book, uh, we wrote a book proposal and we actually sold it to one of the big uh, New York publishers. But I got lucky. Um, should people write their book or try to find an agent first? Let, let, let's perhaps focus on nonfiction because I think that's um, the area at least I know about. Sure. Yeah. Belt only does nonfiction. I think we're pretty unusual um, as an independent press that focuses on nonfiction because many of the small presses are, are more literary fiction and poetry. Um, nonfiction is usually sold by proposal. So um, that is the way the game is played, where you write a proposal which has, you know, certain expected sections, chapter summaries, marketing section, um, you know, comparative and competing titles. And it's very important if you are interested in having a nonfiction book published by a traditional publisher that you know what that proposal form looks like and how to do it. And in, and in our, my book, How to Publish a Book, which is very hard to describe because it sounds like I'm repeating myself, um, I do talk about the elements of a proposal. Uh, you don't necessarily need an agent uh, to sell a book or to get a book published. Um, and you don't necessarily need a 60 page behemoth proposal, which are very common for those selling to the big five corporate publishers in New York, but you do pretty much need to have a proposal or know what a proposal should contain. Before we get to planning the book and wh why would people want to write a book these days? We've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, we've got Medium, uh, we've got the entire blogosphere, which is essentially the internet. What, 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 why a book in, in 2020? You know, I am not a book nostalgic, um, but I think it is a brilliant technology. And I think the reason why the book has been around, you know, for 2000 some years, including when it was a codex and, you know, there weren't there weren't printing presses. We still had books and manuscript books. Is it's just a brilliant technology for uh, distributing the expression of ideas? Um, it's just a nice form. So if you have a you know certain number of words you want to put together in one 
portable, affordable, accessible way, the book really works. So I think all of the, I think all sorts of ways to package and um, distribute writing are great. I just think that the book is one that um, is, is really very, I don't know, it's elegant. It's intuitive. I mean, people pick up books. I still get a lot of PDFs sent over to me by guests on the show, and I browse through them if I don't have the book. But if I have a physical book in front of me, I'm always going to pick that up as opposed to the electronic one. Yeah, and I don't even think the form matters so much, whether it's digital or print. I think it's also the the length, the expectation. I think <laughs> I think knowing there's a an ending is very key to why the book is still so attractive to us. It has it has a shape. We know it has a beginning, middle, and an end. We don't know that with Twitter. We don't know that with blogs. Um, we don't know that, you know, even with serial podcasts, how long will they go on? But a book is discreet and confined, and, and I think that also makes it really appealing. And when we were at that Baltimore event, we were surrounded by people who claimed at least to want to write a book and who thought of themselves as an aspiring writer. And I'm guessing most of them didn't publish a book and, and aren't writers. For people listening who, who, who would like to think of themselves as a writer, who believe they have a book in them, a nonfiction book, uh, what advice would you give them in terms of, of getting real and honest with themselves? First of all, you have to read. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche, blah, 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 but it's really, really true. You have to read a lot. And you have to read everything that's been written in the topic that you're writing about. And I think that very simple thing often will distinguish somebody who really has it in them to uh, have a book put out by a publisher and someone who's just really interested in writing um, mainly for themselves. Um, because you, what you have to do is see yourself as entering a conversation. Your book is entering a conversation. You need to know what that conversation is. So you need to know what's been written about that topic um, by others. And then you also have to understand publishing because you are it, 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 you are basically asking, if you're working with the traditional publisher, you're basically asking someone to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to bring your ideas to an audience. So you need to understand how to convince them to put all that money into your book. And you need to understand what editors do, what editors look for. Um, what the trends are in the marketplace. I, a lot of this sounds like just, you know, business, blah, blah, blah. Really, the point is you need to understand it as people working jobs that are doing things and they have different expectations on them. And they have different pressures on them. And you're going to go to them and say, hey, I think this will work for you. Not just, hey, I think what I've written is really great and make it, you know, where the self and you as the writer is the primary driver. You need to be able to think of it as, I know what's been written out there and I know what your job is. And I think this thing I have will slot in really well with that larger conversation and the business that you're in. I think that's the shift. That's key. What about what, what publishers call the marketing platform? Uh, some people have 
tens, even hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, huge, huge networks on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. How essential is that? Is that in some ways from a publishing and a publisher's point of view more important than the product itself? Depends on the publisher. So the landscape of publishing is varied and there's lots of different kinds of publishing houses. Uh, American publishing has become increasingly consolidated over the you know past three or four decades. Um, all sorts of little small presses, independent presses, medium-sized presses, regional presses have been bought up and bought up and bought up by companies in New York who have then bought up each other to the point now that there are five companies in the United States that have almost a monopolistic power over the publishing world. Um, And they are owned by multinational corporations. Rupert Murdoch owns one of them. Uh, The Germans own another. The French own another. They're just huge corporations. At that level, profit motive is the primary driver. And if somebody thinks that because uh, a person has a million or so followers or is related to Donald Trump or work for Donald Trump, and they think, wow, it would be very easy to sell millions of this book, and then we would make lots of money, that could be more important than the product itself. But then again, there are a huge swath of other publishers, including Belt, independent publishers, um, for whom the product is important, for who have other goals beyond profit. Um, and the question of marketing and your platform and your followers is maybe less important, maybe not, but definitely different. But writers, uh, sometimes I think, are purists or many writers are purists and, and don't want to think about marketing. Um, in your book, so you want to publish a book, uh, you do suggest that marketing is important. It's not something that can be ignored from the point of view of prospective author. Is that fair? Uh, Yeah. I mean, um, marketing is important for a book, right? I mean, a book, it's a commodity, right? It's a a consumer item and you want to get people to purchase it and you have to figure out a way how to get people to purchase it. Now, the publisher can take that on. The author can take that on. It's true that recently there has been more and more pressures for authors to take on that work of marketing. But it doesn't have to be that way, and it doesn't have to be through Twitter or Instagram. There are different ways it can happen. But I do think it's important for writers to understand, yeah, if they if they want a publisher to spend tens of thousands of dollars to put their book out, um, they might need to help the publisher sell that book. Um, and if they don't want to do it, they don't have to. But... There are lots of different ways that you can have a book published um, other than having a traditional publisher undertake the expenses um, and then try to sell it to a public. And why do so many people think they have a book in them? Why do you think it's something that you ask most people and say, oh, yeah, I could write a book. Um, and, And I think I have something interesting and important to say. I'm not saying everyone thinks that, but I think a lot of people do. I think everyone has a great story to tell. I don't think everyone has a book in them. And I think that that's, you know, that's a key difference. I mean, writing a book is is very hard, specialized activity. I mean, nobody says, I could definitely do some surgery, you know, <laughs> or 
I could fly that plane. Like there is something about writing a book that, you know, people are like, yeah, I could do that. But I think partially it's because people have interesting stories um, and, and they want to tell them they think that it would be interesting and, and, and meaningful to do so. Um, and I think there's, you know, I always say everybody has a great essay in them. And at Belt, we publish this series called City Anthology Series, and we, we focus on different cities in the Rust Belt, um, you know, Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Akron, Gary, Dayton, you know, on and on. And we get dozens of people who live in those cities to tell their story ab- about the city. Um, and many of the people whose works are included in those books are not writers, but they have one great essay about their life in their city. Um, and it's wonderful to be able to publish those. And it's 2020. You don't need me telling you that. Uh, most of the bookshops at the moment, I think practically all the bookshops in, in America are shut. Certainly all, all my local bookstores in Berkeley, California are shut. Um if you want to write a book in 2020, it needs to be published perhaps in 2021. Should people be working with uh, companies like Belt Publishing who sell directly as opposed to the traditional publishing route? I know Belt Publishing also distribute books into the stores themselves. But is the industry itself changing? Is it becoming more of a, of a, of a direct marketing operation? Well, at Belt, we do sell a good percentage of our books directly. And that has been why we've been able to succeed as an independent small press. Uh, That's the single most important reason. Uh, And that's simply because when we're selling directly to customers, we're selling at retail. And when we're selling to a bookstore or to Amazon, we're selling at wholesale. And um, the margins on book publishing are small enough that that makes a huge difference. I think that we're not seeing it yet, but we will see a, a fracturing of this really annoying hegemony and monopolization of you know book buying with Amazon as a result of everything that's going on. I don't think you know Amazon's not going away, but I think more and more readers are aware of the problems that Amazon causes in the publishing industry and that there are other options for them uh, to buy their books separately. They can still buy their books from independent bookstores. Almost all of them have now an online or curbside um, delivery option. And I think we're learning that this, you know, expecting everything to be turned around in one day and delivered on your doorstep is a problem. And we're, we're more willing to be patient and if more, we only need a small percentage of book buyers to choose not to go to Amazon and instead go to their independent bookstore or go directly to the publisher website, as we are always uh, asking our, our supporters to do, um, and they'll understand the difference. And it's not just about, you know, the corporation versus a small business. It also has to do with the supply chain. Because it's really fascinating what's happening with publishing in terms of the supply chain with with paper um, and warehouses and distribution. And there are a lot of problems happening. And a lot of big five publishers are having real problems with getting their books to their customers because the supply chain is breaking down. But if you can go to the individual 
publisher or to the individual bookstore, um, it's per but particularly the publishers. I mean, we have the books right here in our office. That's you know one mile from my house. I can walk over and I can you know put your book into a an envelope and get it to you faster now than you can get it from Amazon because of everything that's happening. So I know this is a long answer, but you know, again, we just need to break away small swaths of, of book buyers um, from Amazon and it will have an enormous, robust uh, influence on the, di you know, the diversity of people publishing and selling books. Yeah, and I, I'm sure the vast majority of our uh, listening audience uh, are not great fans of Amazon. Uh, I always tell people that they need to fight the convenience of Amazon and the price because we don't want the, this wonderful industry to be monopolized by a single mega corporation. Um, and uh, as you say, you don't always deal with agents, so I'm sure you get a lot of pitches from aspiring authors. A lot of people are going to be listening to this and thinking, hmm, Belt Publishing, I'd like to work with Anne. Uh, what, if people were to uh, email you, what advice would you give them about the wrong pitch? <laughs> what, what's the best way to piss you off? I have no idea who we are, right? I mean, we publish a certain kind of book. Um, we have a certain sensibility, if you just look at our, you know, um, website and look at our titles and what we have coming out, you'll be able to glean that pretty quickly. Uh, it, I'm not asking you to, you know, buy 20 books and read them all, but have some understanding of who is on the other end of that email. That's really this, you know, that's really, really important. Um, I don't even know if there's anything beyond that. That's the most important thing. Well, yeah, and, and, and if you look at what we do and you see that your book has nothing to do with it, then don't write me. <laughs> but people can write you. Do you want to give out your email or should people just check it out on the Belt site? It's very easy to find me. Um, if you go to the Belt Publishing site, which is just beltpublishing.com, and you go to our About page, you'll find my email and information about... Um, uh, submitting queries. Yes, absolutely interested in hearing from people. I love getting um, um, proposals that proposals and queries doesn't have to be, you know, again, a 60 page, uh, basically book about what your book's going to be about. Um, but if you see what we're doing, and, and you're working on something that that seems related, love to hear from you. I would encourage people to do it. Uh, Anne's an old friend, and and what she's done is actually pretty amazing to to build uh, to build her own mini publishing empire, uh, putting out important, interesting books and, and making money at the same time. Finally, Anne, uh, people should of course uh, buy and read your new book. So you want to publish a book, uh, but what else should people be uh, reading in these strange times? So I'm going to. Um... Uh, suggest a few belt titles because that's obviously what I'm reading a lot of. And I think that they're uh, good books to be reading right now. We have a book coming out in a couple of weeks uh, called Conspiracy to Riot, The Life and Times of, of a Member of the Chicago 7, which is a history of, I don't know, a lot of people have forgotten about the Chicago 7 or don't know about the Chicago 7 trial, but it was a big national sensation um, uh, people who were uh, uh, um, indicted 
after protesting at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Um, Bobby Seale and Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman, all sorts of sort of famous radicals from the 60s were uh, put up on charges. It was really an example of overreach by the government. Um, it's an example of how uh, activism is important. And um, this is a memoir written by one of those seven, um, not just about the experience with the trial, but also his life as a radical um, from growing up on the south side of Chicago um, until today. And it's really a fascinating memoir. Um, and another book that I definitely want to shout out is Phil Chrisman's Midwest Futures, which is a, a brilliant, I mean, it's just a, a stone cold masterpiece, as someone put it on Twitter. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's how I describe it, a stone cold masterpiece. It's a set of interrelated essays um, about the history and the future of the Midwest um, that looks at uh, the, the question of climate change, um, disabuses us of many of the preconceptions we might have of, mid, of you know, what it means to be Midwestern, um, and even contains the line, very prescient, this book came out in April, that um, the line is, to riot, rioting is a refusal to be quarantined. Can you believe that? You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.